Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On September 8th, 2015, the first episode of Set Listing Bruce was released. To celebrate our anniversary month, I plan to put out a new episode every day this month. During this month, I would like to share feedback from my listeners. If you have any thoughts, questions, or comments for me or any of my guests, please send me an email at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can also leave a voicemail at 469-249-2442. If you're not part of our Patreon group, please think about supporting the podcast by making a small monthly donation. Starting at a dollar a month, you can help me continue to spread the power and magic of music. Everyone who joins gets a personal thank you card from me and a set Lusting Bruce sticker. Depending on your level, you can get early access to episodes and unedited videos of my discussions with guests. During this month, I'd love to get some new reviews on iTunes and other podcast players. If you haven't rated the podcast before, please go to wherever you get your podcast and leave a rating, hopefully five star, and let people know why you love the podcast. Hope you enjoy this month of episodes, and now on to the show. Now, I have a huge variety of playlists. I love blues, and I love dirty, hard blues. I like jazz, but not elevator jazz. I like jazz that has that emotion. I will listen to metal. I will listen to hardcore rap. I will listen to a touch of country. But it's not any one thing. Again, it's it depends where I'm at or where I want to go because music will transport you to the places you want to go.
Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. We are getting off the Bruce train, though he will come up as he often does. I have my new friend, Travis. We've already talked, I swear, 10 minutes before I even hit record. Travis, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Jesse. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, so tell us a little about yourself. Oh, a little bit about myself. I am eclectic to the max. This is why when we first spoke online and you're like, Bruce Springsteen fan? I'm like, no, because I like too many things to focus on one. Because whether it's foods, what I'm writing, what I'm listening to, or what I'm doing on a daily basis, I love variety. Um. Now, beyond that, I can go into my childhood, start with where I'm born and work up from there. But That's, that's where we will go to. I do love the diversity. In fact, we talked about that online. I really don't know if I have one solid musician I could talk about. There are several, and, and we'll get to that. But I really want to talk a little also about your writing. And, and so I'm going to ask you two questions. I usually start with where were you grew, where did you grow up and what kind of music did your family listen to? But I'm also going to ask you, were your family readers? Were you raised by a family of people who love to read? And did that feed you wanting to be a writer? I'll start with the first, if you like. Please. So before... I went out on my own on age 16 is when I moved out on my own. I lived in three or four different states with various relatives and probably 12 to 16 different houses before age 16. As for the Mississippi, Ohio, Florida, I believe that's it before I moved out on my own. Since then, another six states. What's the what was the emphasis to moving around so much and not having the stable family life that most people would consider? It was the 70s and the 80s. So okay. to use antiquated terminology, it was a broken home. And yeah. I don't mind exploring that if you're curious. After that, though, because I've moved more than 60 times in my life. So a lot more afterwards. I love variety. I love seeing new places, meeting new people, experiencing new things. And it, it's just, I've become fond of saying the only thing that lasts are memories. So purchasing something, and we all do it, I, I do it, but the memories of going someplace or being with people, that's what lasts the rest of your life. That's from the moment you're born to the day you die. That's what you take with you everywhere. Absolutely. And I, I think said, and we all buy too much stuff. Mm. I'm raising my hand guilty as well. What made you decide at 16 to be on your own? My mother was charging me rent at age 13. She told me to go out and get a job. Don't come home without one. Mm. And I did. And when I came home, oh, it's not a rough thing. It, this was normal to me. This wasn't a tragic, traumatic moment. When I came home, she went, great, you could start paying me now. By 16, I was paying, it was my mother, my brother, and myself, and I was paying one third of everything, rent, utilities, et cetera. And it just came to a point where I went, I can live on my own and have more freedom for the same price it costs to live at home. So off I went into the world. 
and actually moved about 30 minutes out of New York City before I turned 17. Did you go through the legal process of becoming a independent? Just, nope. just went on your own. Yeah, huh? just went out. It's, I first moved in with my mother's fifth husband, ex-husband at that point. And it was a couple months later I moved to New York. Mm-hmm. And I quite often had people there, Travis, what are you running from? And I'm like, I like to think of it as I'm running to something. And yeah, there we go. It's you want me to flip back to the reader question, or you want to go no, on? No, to this no, no. We will get back to the reader question. Go ahead. I, I, the reason I'm asking this is my dad was in the army mm-hmm. when we were. I was the oldest, right? And my, I was born in Leesville, Louisiana, mm-hmm. and my, my father was from Ohio. Was where his parents were from. My parents met at Fort Polk, Louisiana, and. She was, until her parents died, a mama's girl. And any time, if my dad was going to be stationed overseas, she would move home to Louisiana. So I counted once that I went through 12 schools from first through eighth grade. Like a couple of years, there were three moves, which kind of, I think... One led to my love of reading right. because books were always there. Right. Uh, my love of comic books because mm. my superheroes were my my buddies. And for the longest time, I didn't make very strong friendship attachments because you're going to have to leave anyway. Right. So did your moving around much, did that affect you in any way like I'm talking about with myself? Yes and no. I've always been the type of person that everybody seems to know me, even though I don't know them, but I've never been in a crowd or a clique. It just never worked for me. Okay. On the other hand, I could talk to anybody. And there is somebody I met that when I was five, I'm still friends with him. And there's a few people that I met in high school and middle school that I am still friends with. But I'm a firm believer in quality over quantity making close friends as adults we know that it's a rare gem when you have a close friend yeah it really is and i think one of the reasons why i love doing this podcast is i make quote unquote online friends right i have someone as a guest and we click and we really enjoy each other's conversation We're like oh we need to have you on again or there's there you mate friends that are in the Springsteen fandom community and you end right. up bonding and so my wife doesn't understand that because uh-huh. you've never met these people and I'm like I've talked to them multiple times I've seen them via Zoom I'm not saying that I can borrow 5 grand from them but I do feel like we are friends that we have. We are at least a little bit more than acquaintances. And yeah, and I think that's part of the intimacy of podcasting that they're in, you have the host and the guest in your ears as you're listening and you right. feel like them. Right. Part yeah. of the conversation, you're sitting in the room with them. Yeah, it truly is. And when people ask me, what is, you know, what is the podcast? And I said, if it's good, 
you should feel like you're in line to go to a Bruce show and you're overhearing two people talking that's right in line in front of you. That's when it's good. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Hey, this is Brad Page from the I'm in Love With That Song podcast, inviting you to join me as we explore a different song each episode, discovering what makes these songs great. The performances, arrangements, and the production tricks and techniques are all part of creating those magic moments that turn a good song into a great one. On this podcast, we take a deep dive into each song, listening to all those nuances that came together to make it a great song. Our journey takes us across the musical map, 
from the Beatles and the Stones to Aretha Franklin and Tom Petty, Kiss, The Cars, Todd Rundgren and Roxy Music, from Badfinger to Al Green, Stevie Wonder to David Bowie, from Aerosmith to the Zombies. We listen to it all on the I'm in Love with That Song podcast. You may be unfamiliar with some of these songs, and some of them you've probably heard a hundred times, but I bet if we listen closely, we can discover something new. So, join me on the I'm in Love with That Song podcast, and let's listen together, because I think you're going to love these songs too. Do you think it's because you love variety you mentioned? Is it you're just open to exploring different areas and different ideas. I like the idea you're running into something, running to something versus running away from, but it isn't looking for things are better. The grass is greener on the next yard. It's just, you think it's interesting. I've never lived in blank. We should try that out. Is that more what it's like? Absolutely. And usually when I move from one place to another, it's because I know one or more people in the other area. When I was younger, it was friends or family. As I got older, it was other opportunities. And as the internet came into play, in 96, when I got my first computer with online access, oh, that changed everything. And now I have traveled across the world to stay with people I have met online. Not romantically, but but my wife and I have traveled together to stay with friends who are very close friends that we never met till we flew across an ocean and stayed in their house, face-to-face at least. Does she enjoy the variety as much as you? She does. I won't say exactly the same as me. She does her... Then again, I like my rituals too. We all have our things that we like constant to give us that grounding and that base. But yeah, to go new places, if I can tangent here. Please, uh, was, I love tangents. <laughs> there was one week a few years back, I realized she and I had the same day off. And I said, Andrea, I happened to look on my map app on my phone and Philadelphia is only five hours away. We have off Friday. You want to go to Philly, have a cheesesteak, see the Liberty Bell and come home? And that's what we did that Friday. We also saw the Rocky statue, but it was just three days decision. And I'll, I'll, I'll give this advice. If you ever travel to a larger city on a whim, remember parking costs everywhere you go. I learned that the first time we went to New Orleans as adults, mm-hmm. we're like, man, these hotels in the quarter are ridiculous. Oh, we can get outside the city tons mm-hmm. cheaper and then you drive in and that parking is astronomical right you still get a little bit of it because the hotel will charge you for parking as well but it is a little bit less than the per hour parking right when we went to new orleans it was for three days so an extended weekend yeah and we stayed in a airbnb outside of town and took ubers and here's what i'll tell you get an Airbnb inside town and yeah. walk everywhere because yeah. just coming from the airport to the house, it was in a peak thing and it was 60 or $80 one way. Yeah. It was absolutely. It was, 
heartbreaking to pay that much for a ride. Yes, it was. All right, so let's go back. I shared that as we moved around a lot, I learned to read very early and just devoured comic books. If it had a cover, I read it. How about you? Were you a big reader? I was. And looking back across my family, I think only my mother was a reader. And she got me the book clubs, like the Disney book club or whatever. And I would go through them voraciously. She tried to give me one a month and that didn't work out. She Because you get three or four at one time and then you get one a month for six months and then you get this stack. And eventually yeah. she just had to hand me the stack. And I never folded corners. I never wrote in my books, never tore them up. I read them. I displayed them. I remembered them. And then into my teens is when I started into the heavy novels and I would read anything because she had multiple bookshelves and I would go through that even like Nora Roberts or uh, Judy. What's your name? I can't remember, uh, but even Michael Crichton. Yeah. Just, yeah. Anything. It was just worlds upon worlds and stories upon stories. Did you have some favorite authors? Piers Anthony, which for anybody that doesn't know, he writes very lighthearted fantasy and then some very dark and heavy sci-fi. And that was probably one of the first novels I picked up that was an actual novel, three, four hundred pages. But from there, I tested Stephen King and... To this day, I say, I'm not a Stephen King fan, but that guy has a gift with words. He can write 20 pages about nothing, and I am captivated, but he's not necessarily my cup of tea. And now, anywhere from John Grisham with his legal fiction to just anything that's well-written can hold me. Yeah, I went through a spell. It's been a while since I, in fact, I feel like I should go back and visit Pierce Anthony. Yeah. I went through all the Xanth books. I went through the Incarnations of Immortality. Oh, you the know. first four are great. Yeah. And then five, six, and seven just. Yes. By the I... way, he's still out there and still writing, and he lost his wife about two years ago. And he'll oh. answer your emails if you email him. I, I did was going to mention that, that his address is in the books and if you i would write him a yes. physical letter and he would reply back it would be short but it would be answered and he i, I always thought that was just really lovely of him yes and yes and he wrote some very hard science fictions and yeah yeah um really really talented guy did you read stephen king's fairy tale yes actually on audiobook a lot of the okay Books I take in now are audiobooks because I could do it while driving or working yeah. out. Because if I sit in a chair, I'm working, I'm doing yeah, something. Makes sense. But yeah, enjoyed fairy tale. And I can again sidetrack us for a moment. I picked up a new author recently. Yeah. That as I'm listening to his book, I'm like, this guy could be the next Stephen King. So I Googled him, found out Joe Hill, his full name is Joseph Hillstrom. King. He's Stephen King's son. And I've been enjoying his books. He only has a handful out there right now, but Nosferatu is incredible. Fireman is what I'm in the middle of right now. 
but enjoying his writing too. Yeah, what I've told a lot of people is that fairy tale is exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. It is Stephen King's take on a fairy tale. And I do think it's beautiful. I just really was impressed that he wanted to, I feel like writing this. And when he said, I wanted something with a happy ending, and you get a Stephen King happy ending, which right. has kind of things of that. It's fair. Yeah. Do Did you know early you wanted to write yourself in retrospect in hindsight yeah it was all there because at age six for my sixth birthday i got action figures now action figures were brand new star wars action figures i got the death star and a handful of figures and i started making stories my 13th birthday i got dungeons and dragons as a gift And, of course, I started making stories. And six months later, when I ran a game for the first time, they wouldn't let me play again. And even now, people, I've had people who I haven't seen in 20 years, and they were only in two games, and they won't see me again. And they're like, I still remember that game. It's incredible. I had notebooks with stories in it. My relatives have told me even at six and seven years old, I carried a notebook writing things down. All the clues are there, but I didn't realize it till much later. When did you first go, yeah, since I've been doing this, what do I do? How? What was? Do you have a, a short story you did first or a book? What was first up for you? I had ideas, lots of ideas, but never really built on them. And then it was somewhere between 99 and 2001 that I went, I'm ready to write a book. And my wife at the time, she's like, I want to write one first. So she took off work and stayed home and wrote her book. And I was doing editorials. I write poetry was published. But it wasn't until late 2006, early 2007, I sat down and in six weeks wrote a 136,000 word novel, Mm. which I then shopped around and it was rejected. Now, to, to give the ending to that story, in 2016, I picked that back up, went through it, rewrote it front to back and self published it. But yeah, short stories is where I started. And actually, I had to write this down because I never remember. When did I first, I don't know, let's say 2011, I started publishing short stories. By 2013, I collected all my short stories because I connected them all, even though they were in separate books. And I put out my first anthology. And then I took a couple characters from those anthologies and wrote multiple anthologies. You ever read Sherlock Holmes? Yeah, sure. So that's called a short story cycle where they're separate short stories, but they'll refer to the other ones, thus connecting them. And I started doing that with a couple characters. And 2014, I came out with my first nonfiction. And I guess, was it 2015 or 2016 was my first full length novel. And I'm about to publish my 36th book. Yeah, I'm looking at your website and just tons of books and a wide range of genres. Yeah, it's a curse. Once again, it's the you like variety. 
Yeah. And then I have pen names for other things that my children books, I wanted those under a different name. So I actually went with my birth name because the name I have now is no longer the name I was born with or when I was adopted. So I wanted those separate because I didn't want somebody getting a kid's book under my real name and then buying their kid one of my novels that are not meant for children. Mm-hmm. And what? why do you think you need to do these different use these different muscles for different types is it just you don't want to get bored or you just the ideas come in these different genres best way i can compare it is do you only watch comedies or romance movies or only yeah. sci-fi or only horror you get moods you get it yeah oh i really feel like this or do you only eat pizza or do you only eat steak and that's the same with me with writing. And certain things speak to me. When I was in the steampunk community, that's when I wrote the first nonfiction about steampunk. When I had three friends hospitalized or passed due to suicide and depression, I wrote my second nonfiction book. And that was focused on that. It's tough using the word inspiration in that situation. But yeah, if, if I'm inspired to one thing, but I also, with all my fiction, I tie them together, whether it's sci-fi or fantasy, there is a loose thread of one character that appears in each series at some point, thus tying the whole world together. And it's called the Traverse Reality is what I've dubbed it. Do we talked about, I, I've talked about this before in writers, the, the joy and the challenges, the sweet and sour of writing in a series and writing standalone novels. Now you connect all your novels, mm -hmm. but you do you have where they are very clearly a series and they are that are more standalone that just have a through character? This is something I'm still exploring. Okay. Um, because in my research, as I was growing as a writer, I heard series do better. And once you hit book six, it does even better. So I purposely chose one fantasy series that I wanted to write and one sci-fi series I wanted to write. Now, that book that I mentioned that I wrote in 2007, published in 2016, that's actually the first book of a series. But I wanted to work those muscles and get some skills before I wrote the next book in that series. So these 12 books were meant to do that. And to be honest, besides the short story cycles... I don't really have any standalone one-off books. Doesn't mean I won't. I'm interested in doing that, but I love to connect everything because in my head, everything in the world is interconnected one way or another. Sometimes just barely by a thread. Other times it just dovetails right in. Yeah. Is there a genre you haven't explored yet, but you think in the back of your mind you're going to want to? I explored it in short stories, okay. and that's horror. Okay. But with horror, I find psychological thrillers much more terrifying. A broken mind is much scarier to me than something that goes bump in the night. So when I say horror, I don't necessarily want to explore the things coming out of the darkness at you, but when your mind creates things in the darkness, 
that come at you. Yeah, absolutely. That is, in a lot of ways, can be much scarier because it's close to close, quote unquote, real versus, yeah, absolutely. And, And Stephen King does do a lot of that, flipping back to him. There's a lot of times you were not sure what it is because anything could be possible. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go to music a little bit. You mentioned let's... in our email that you a wide diverse of musicians that you enjoy. Let's talk a little bit about that. Where, what kind of music did you listen to as you were growing up? And then as you reached high school age and college age, what, in now young adult, what music did you, is there a consistent kind of music that stings with you or it changes as much as your address? It, it changes. Now, growing up, I had two sisters who were in their teens when I was still in elementary school. So I had a lot of Bee Gees and Leaf Garrett and pop of the 70s, disco. My mother was listening to more rock, so Stevie Nicks, Pat Benatar, that sort of thing. So that was with that. And my grandmother, who I lived with for a brief bit, she enjoyed Elvis. So I got this exposure across the board to that. And it's still a corner. It's still a a niche of music. Then middle school, I had my own clock radio because 80s. And that's when I would listen to a lot of top 40. Then in high school, things changed because I got to meet other people. And just like everything else we've mentioned I was just voracious for new things. So I had one friend that listened to metal, another one that listened to classic rock. And by the time I was 19, I was working at Renaissance fairs doing improv theater. So I got a little bit into the folk and the uh, sea shanties and whatnot. And You asked about favorite artists, and yes, Bruce is in there. He's an icon of my life. He's been there the entire time. When he first struck it big, I was two or three years old. So that was that. Billy Joel, I love him. But probably my favorite song over is a ragtime song by Scott Joplin, The Entertainer. Yeah. So now, I, okay. Yeah. No. I go ahead. Continue. <laughs> but now I have a huge variety of playlists. I love blues and I love dirty hard blues. I like jazz, but not elevator jazz. I like jazz that, that has that emotion. I will listen to metal. I will listen to hardcore rap. I will listen to a touch of country. But it's not any one thing. Again, it's it depends where I'm at or where I want to go because music will transport you to the places you want to go. So one of the things you do is you're also a podcaster. So That's talk right. about the podcast. What what kind what is your shows and what are they about? Oh, I have seven or eight at this point okay. in time. Now, the first one I did started in 2007, shortly after I wrote that book, and it was called Talk of the Tavern. And in 2013, when I started publishing books, since I was in the steampunk community, somebody approached me going, we'd love you to do a steampunk show. So I took Talk of the Tavern and flipped it into a steampunk 
feel and called it Sounds of Steam. A lot of interviews there, a lot of musicians and whatnot. And this was before uh, DMCA rules really crippled us sharing music. But right. I was able to play all these small artists that got no airplay. And I was able to share that with the world. Now, once that moved on, Talk of the Tavern has continued and still does to this day. But as an author, I came up with Write Night, where myself and two other people in the industry get together and discuss different things. And it might be somebody who writes plays, somebody who writes comic books, uh, and of course, other authors or editors or anything within the genre, within the industry. Since then... Oh, my goodness. I have to think what else I have here. I recently started another one called A Guy in His Pipe, and that's just me talking about interesting places to travel to in the world and what you might find there. 27 Thoughts, which is based on one of my book series, and it's more of a self-help type thing. Tavern Reflections is just me reading a short not a short story, but a story that is short. And it might be Edgar Allan Poe or something I wrote. And that's more for relaxation and meditative and that sort of thing. What else do I have out there? Stealing for Survival is actually a tabletop role-playing game, post-apocalyptic, that I am translating into a story and then reading it as a podcast as well as other things. It's like everything all over the place. To the point where I had to pull back at some point because there's only so many hours in a day. Yes, I know that feeling as someone <laughs> yeah. who's currently doing, I think, four right. uh, podcasts, right? What about what itch does podcasting do for you that writing doesn't? It's an instant connection with people and largely with Talk of the Tavern and a couple of the others. I would record them on a live stream. So we actually had a in-house audience via chat where we could read questions or take comments and that sort of thing. And that was great having that, as you mentioned earlier, that instant connection with other people and whatnot. With the other ones where it's just me reading stories, that is filling a niche as I live streamed and did podcasts, people would comment on my voice and they're like, hey, I, I just could listen to it. So I was aiming for something. What content could I put out there for those people? And that led into the other things. Is there anything you are still wanting to podcast about that you haven't gotten to yet? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I have framework for a couple others and if i had nothing today give me a week there'll be something else for example right night i set it aside but there's still people coming to me going there's more we could do there i have one i wanted to do with my son considering he's 20 and i'm 50 it's two very different points of view and we work well together where we can tease each other harass each other in a friendly way and view things differently without bumping heads so i have a podcast frameworked for that and i'm checking my notes because i put them up here because people will ask me and i don't remember all of them off the top sure. of my head so I, i've built the ability to launch into other things and 
I can't think of any one thing right now that I haven't already structured to move forward with if I decide mm-hmm. to. But like I said, you give me some time and I'll be like, oh, yes, I remember one I haven't actually set up. I have a character from my books called Byron Savage, and he's in my cyberpunk world. The thing is, he's been around for 50 years before that cyberpunk world, and he was an adult 50 years ago. I had a concept of him in this modern era that we're in currently being a paranormal investigator. And writing essentially very short stories about his investigations and what happened there. And the title would have been his initials and paranormal investigator initials. So BSPI. Yeah, there's that. Yeah. Big convention goer. Do you do conventions? I have. I'm not as big with them now. Um, I used to enjoy them as a guest and this Ren fairs naturally went into conventions. Sure. Then I started being a guest speaker and traveling around the country to different places for that. But it got to a point where it's very wearing and very tiring. And also the fact is, whether you're a writer or a podcaster, it's a business and or a very expensive hobby. Take your pick. I didn't have the budget for expensive hobbies. So when I realized with some of these conventions, the cost for me was not, I wasn't getting it back. So when it gets to a point where you're spending $400, $700, or $1,000 for one weekend, I'm like, I can't keep doing this. Plus, I'm exhausted. And also, you... You, there, there's a net loss, right? Like only, yes. So I spend a three day weekend, four day weekend going to Dragon Con in Atlanta, right? You'll absolutely right. have a great time. You'll meet some wonderful people, but that's four days you're not working. Yeah, you may be able to ride at night in the hotel, but no, that's the whole purpose is you want to enjoy and meet and visit people. Exactly. And when you hope you sell some books and, but yeah, I could see that. That would have been different if when I had a table, if the book sold enough or the following week, I saw a huge bump in sales and I went, I covered costs, right? I'm breaking even. And if I was breaking even, I would have probably kept going. I I wouldn't have stopped. Yeah. But also, just like I mentioned in school, I'm never part of a clique. I like everybody. I move between groups. And because of that, because of human beings and their social structures, that does not reflect well in the long term if you don't pick a side, even if there doesn't seem like there should be sides. Mm -hmm. So politics happen. That is one of the downside of any any fandom group there is no matter how much you don't want it to be there is a little bit of politics springsteen fans are pretty Mm -hmm. overall pretty good but there is that percentage of people that you go why are you doing this come on what are we doing some people aren't in it for the joy they're in it for the other things they can get out of it which is usually attention Uh, and i use the term loosely power Right. And that's a shame because when I do these sort of things in any fandom, it's for the joy of it. And yes. and also when I do go to conventions, 
I plan on the business side. And afterwards, I go back and do the business side. But while I'm there, I do not focus on the business side because the business side of a convention is networking. Yeah. And meeting people and having a good time. And if you just look like you're pushing product the whole time, nobody wants to do that. And nobody wants to be around somebody doing that. Yeah. I have a real good friend named Tom Zoller mm-hmm. that like will go to San Diego. And he said part of the reason of San Diego is the connections you make. Right. He said San Diego, people are drinking to dull the pain. Dragon Con, they're drinking because they're having fun. Oh. <laughs> he says just a world of difference between the two conventions. So what's next for you, Travis? What do you, What's next? Sounds like you always have a full agenda. I do. And right now I've taken all the podcasts and moved them back at arm's length because I have to focus on book five of my fantasy series. And also I'd like to record all of my back library to audiobooks, and I'm narrating those myself. So that's something a lot of people don't realize about audiobooks. And you'll know on, you'll understand this because of podcasting. It might take the chapter, let's do it this way, that 10-hour book you buy and listen to. That was probably 15 or 20 hours worth of recording. But then you have hiccups and nose scratches and movements of clothes rubbing, mistakes. But the editing time is usually three to four times the length of whatever you recorded, whether it's a podcast or an audiobook. So a 10-hour book can be anywhere from 60 to 100 hours worth of work, depending on your skill level and your tools and how clean of a recording you laid out. So yeah, taking full-length novels and turning them over, that, that's a month of work for one novel, which is about how long it takes me to write most of my novels, not including editing and cleaning, that sure. kind of stuff. And when you're doing that, it's hard to write a new book. Yes. So I definitely have a lot of... I have, Two more of my fantasy series that are complete that I have to clean up. And then I have to record the last three to audiobooks. And in my cyberpunk series, I have to record the first two and then write book three through six. And I've already got three outlined and ideas for book four with that. So there's my quick and dirty schedule. Absolutely. All right. Let's do your convention pitch. If someone is interested in sampling some of your work obviously we're going to go to your website and i will include the link it's travis sivart yes i got uh, this okay let me do it this way for you yeah check out my books audiobooks and podcasts it's at travissivart.com last name same as the first but in reversed travissivart.com very nice okay Mm -hmm. you might have said that once or twice right not i don't think i've said it this evening or to you but yeah yeah. on my social media i'm recording poetry and nursery rhymes and that's my pitch at the end that's nice so okay they're going to go to your website where do they start what do you recommend depends what they want to absolutely i yeah so give me some thoughts okay so if you want to start with the books Pick sci-fi or fantasy. You want fantasy? I really recommend you start with Portals Book One, Beliefs and Black Magics. If you like sci-fi, and the cyberpunk is more, I call it cyberpulp. 
it's like pulp noir from the 1930s, but if it happened in 2050, 2070 instead, it's like Indiana Jones meets Blade Runner. It's fun, it's fast, and it's got a little mystery and conspiracy wrapped up in it. If you like nonfiction, there's a ton there. I recommend with that one, look at the title, see what appeals to you. If you like the sound of my voice, we could talk the podcast, which we've already covered most of those. Or you can look at the audiobooks. And over the next year, I'm hoping to get all my books recorded to audiobook. I did like the idea of some of your nonfiction. I was going to that. I take it you're a pipe smoker. I am. <laughs> okay. I thought that was that looked like a fun book. Super simple. Any of the 27 Thoughts series, and there's 27 Thoughts on Life, which has four books in it, and 27 Thoughts on Social DIY. Because my thought is, nowadays, since the invention of the internet, a lot of people don't learn the skill set of how to go meet people and interact with people anymore. We just don't have that set up the way we used to. And yeah, with social DIY, pipe smoking is in there because it's, it's a hobby. It's something you can do mm -hmm. and talk to others through Springsteen and fandoms. And it's an activity and you can collect things and all that. And I do have two other 27 thought books written, okay. but not cleaned up and published yet. And one will be... I'm leaning towards fiction, and the next one will be 27 Thoughts on Being a Villain. That sounds fun. Oh, I'm looking forward to narrating that one because yeah. I have like that 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 evil villain with the top hat and the handlebar mustache who's always rubbing his hands together. That's the voice I want to use. That sounds great. That's really nice. Travis, what haven't I asked you that I should have? Let me think for a moment. On the professional side, I don't think anything. And we've just had a great meandering conversation covering a I, ton of things. Yeah, I agree. I think it's been great. But I always ask that question because years ago, I had someone on the podcast and we had a lovely conversation and I stopped recording and I thanked him as I always do. Thanks for being on the podcast. Hope you had fun. Oh, I had a blast. He said, next time I'll tell you about the time I got drunk with the E Street Band. What? Uh, uh, I was. <laughs> that's an opener. Not, that's an opener. How do you not lead with that story, right? So, right. just in case you ever got drunk with Piers Anthony or with Bruce Springsteen, I wanted to give well, you that open. I did. I, I was roommates with one of Jim Henson's sons. Oh, interesting. Yeah. When I moved to New York, I actually moved in with John Henson, one of Jim Henson's sons. And uh, I'll go ahead and go into this story. I was not drunk. I was underage and didn't really. I had drinks. Anyhow. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It was winter. We went into Manhattan in the middle of the night. It's probably close to midnight. And John takes me and our one other friend to Muppet headquarters in downtown Manhattan at midnight. And we walk in through the front door and it's almost like a Sesame Street type brownstone. Not purposely, just that type of building. And you walk in, and it's got a spiral staircase leading up to the third floor. And you look up, and there is a stained glass window at the top of the stairs on the ceiling of Kermit the Frog on a lily pad. 
And then you walk into the offices. And at this point in time, I was 17. We walked into the offices and this is before the era of cubicles. So it's just desks and computers, brand new. It was 80, late 88 or January of 89. So wires are just taped to the floor in bundles stretching across the aisle. I tripped over a wire and took down their whole computer system. Oops. So then we go to the basement where they have a puppet building thing where they just have a rough stage out of plywood where you could just build your own puppet and practice or try out a new character. I do remember picking up one of the labyrinth crystal balls off somebody's desk with this beautiful triangular stand. And I'm like, can I have this? And in my 17 year old head is I'm like, this is Muppet headquarters. They've got boxes of these, right? Yeah. And John's like, no, Travis, that belongs to somebody. I'm like, okay. (laughs) No. I never actually got to meet Jim, but I did go to his house and meet his wife. And it was Christmas time. And it's just a sprawling ranch. It, it looked, didn't, it wasn't a Hollywood house. Yeah. You walked in and you go into the kitchen and they've got like 20 foot ceilings. It was very nice, but simple, basic, not fancy. And there's, I don't even remember his mother's name, Jim's wife, but there she is. And she looks like mid-50s woman from the 80s. And she's very sweet. And their Christmas tree was a real tree, and it had to be 16 foot tall. And even then, I'm like, wow, that's a beautiful Christmas tree, not something a 17-year-old normally says. And she says, yeah, we don't get the big ones anymore since the kids moved out. (laughs) And I grew up with six-foot plastic trees, and those were big to me. <laughs> so yes. th- then I went outside, jumped on the trampoline, and sprayed my ankle at Jim Henson's <laughs> house. <laughs> there you go. See, if I hadn't asked you that story, okay, if this the podcast would not have been successful. <laughs> that is absolutely wonderful. I, I love that. And I actually, I remember someone over the past couple of years did a – there was an interview about Henson and talked about how important his wife was in the mythos of building this, that I don't remember the specifics, but that's cool. That's really nice. I adore people who are famous, super successful, whatever, who have that relationship that's been going on for decades. And there's just, there, there's no question if it's going to last or not. They've they've hit success with that person. They're staying with that person because that's part of what made that success. And I just oh make little heart hands and stuff like that. Yeah, Jane Nebel is uh-huh. uh, according to Wikipedia. So that's a wonderful story. I'm so glad you shared that. All right, I'm going to ask you the Mary question, then I'll give you another chance to remind people where to find you, but I end every podcast with the Mary question. So if you are a fan, a fan of Travis's work and you're checking out the podcast or you listen to his podcast and wanted to hear him talk a little bit different, I hope anyway, Mm. Jay Armstrong is a retired honors English teacher in the Philadelphia area. 
But when he was teaching, he would take the song Thunder Road by Bruce Springsteen, print out the lyric, give it to all his students, and they would study it as if it was a poem. They would read all the lyrics. They would talk about the imagery Bruce uses and then would ask the question at the end of the class, does Mary get in the car? That is your question, Travis. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? Do I get to give more than a yes or no? You absolutely should Very give good. more than a yes or no. Absolutely not. This okay. is a guy who pulls up to her house telling her what she's experienced, never once taking into consideration what her point of view is, why she's had these life experiences and these turned down these other men and why she's still at home. That's her choice. I'm pretty sure with what is expressed about Mary, with all that's happened to her, she's got a pretty strong personality and knows what she wants. She's not lost. She's not looking for a hero. She's an individual. And I don't think the guy in the car gives her a chance to be. He just likes what she has going on and wants to be a part of it without realizing it. This is more than a one-person decision here. I love that answer. That is a great answer. Well done, sir. What's uh, your I thoughts on it, it, though? My guess, for the longest time, it was about 60-40. 60% said yes, she gets in. Mm -hmm. About 40% say no. It's We've had a lot of no's lately. Mm -hmm. So I think we're up to 50-50. I am a romantic. I believe that she does get in the car. I think it's a whole nother discussion. Do they have a happy relationship? Right. Do they figure out a way to be there together based on some of Bruce's songs? I think there is the potential that they learn how to be a couple together. I know Bruce is very vocal about his first marriage that it, it did not work because he wasn't ready. Right. And so I think that's what I that's what I hope, though I can never argue with someone who says no. And I love the people that give the reasons why they either think, she, yes, she does or no, she doesn't. Yeah. Great answer. Great answer, my friend. I almost feel like Born to Run could be a follow up to that song, though. Absolutely. In if fact, she got in the car. Yes. Yeah, in, in a lot of ways, Thunder Road is the first song on Born to Run, and that is often people will say, is Bruce has said that if she doesn't get in the, fans will say if she doesn't get in the car, the rest of the album doesn't happen. Yes. There we go. And then there's the Racing in the Street has the lyrics, she sits on the porch, she sits on her daddy's porch, and like they said, that's the porch she danced on. So, yeah, I think it's great. All right, Travis, tell us again how to find you. Very easy to find me. Just go to travissivart.com, last name, same as the first, but in reverse. And there you'll find my books, audiobooks, podcasts, live stream, and more. And feel free to drop me a line if you have any questions, comments, or need an idea of where to start. That sounds wonderful. Please go check out the website. Check out the podcast. Send him a note. Tell him you heard about him on Set Lusting Bruce. And that would make me very happy. My friend, this was a joy. I hope My you pleasure. had as much fun as I did.
Absolutely. And do we have another minute? Yes. We, I want to go back to Mary. Okay. When I answered this question, I put it in a modern context. If we look at the era he wrote it in, a lot of women would have felt trapped in their childhood home, unable to gain that freedom without help. So looking at it in the era of the 70s, I think it would have been much more likely for her to jump in and go. I think that's true. I've had a couple of people say that she gets in the car and the first time he stops for gas to get cigarettes, she goes, <laughs> what the hell am I doing? And she leaves. Uh, that reminds uh, me of uh, Bob Seger's song, Roll Me Away. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so I think that's great. Yeah, it is. One of my favorite answers is Brian Koppelman from mm-hmm. Billions. I was lucky enough to have him on the podcast and he said, we don't need to know. That's the whole purpose of the song that we don't know if she gets in. And it's I like the ending of Inception. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Or, and I talked about growing up the lady and the tiger short story. Mm-hmm. It used to bother me as a kid. What's the <laughs> ending? There is no ending, but there has to be an ending. And now then I understand the beauty of it, not knowing, and you write it yourself. That's right. That's right. Okay. All right, Travis, you have a good night. Listeners, please be safe, be kind, and go check out the stuff. And for now, remember, if we open up our hearts, love won't forsake us. Just let the music take us and carry us home. Thank you, Travis. Thank you, listeners. We'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Thank you, Jesse. Bye. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, said Listening Bruce. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.